Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Booze Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Ollie. And we are together recording today. And if not, you can email us at Booze Podcast and be like, bitch, nah. You suck. <laughs> well, maybe don't. I'm, be I'm, nice. Yeah. I got We're some sensitive. Pisces in my chart, I've learned. So, <laughs> which my eyelash lady was like, mm, that makes sense. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? She's like, you're very emotional. <laughs> you're always crying your eyelashes off. <laughs> I'm like, mm, damn, she's yeah, honest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> honest. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, we're doing a spooky movie night again. Yes, what are we watching? What are we doing? What's on the agenda? I have no idea. Okay, because I know you haven't seen... You mentioned Edward Scissorhands last time. Yeah, I haven't seen that. And I mentioned The Craft. Mm-hmm. So we can do one of those in Unsolved Mysteries, because you said that just came out. Yeah, season two just Ooh. dropped, so I'm super excited. I didn't even know. Yeah, although we'll see, because Matt's joining us in our little movie night, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Is there anything he doesn't like? Uh, I don't know. He's not big into horror to begin with, so he's just going to suffer through it. But I think I have a feeling he might not love Edward Scissorhands just because it's a little... I mean, it's Tim Burton. Yeah. I don't know. But he liked... He liked Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, we just said it twice. Ooh. <laughs> that's enough for this episode. <laughs> um... But no, I I mean, he'll watch anything pretty much. He's watching some like mob boss movie right now. So if you guys hear anything, hopefully you won't because I turned the monitoring down. But if you hear anything, that that's Matt. So blame him. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time I was here, I feel like he's always watching a mob a mom movie he like loves related movie he loves gang movies uh i i always told him i'm like why don't you listen to the podcast and he's like well the day you do like a mob boss i'll listen we had the woman the woman from india who was mm-hmm. like a mob woman yeah but he that's like Matt. the closest thing yeah that's the closest we've gotten and i'm like i don't really like covering mob bosses really so unless there's a spooky twist to it mm-hmm. although the who's that guy the ice ice pick man the ice he was like an assassin for mm, yes i've been there's a movie about him i've been wanting to watch it's a really good movie mm-hmm. yeah i need to watch that yeah i don't know if matt's watched it if not we could throw it on tonight but it's it's really good mm-hmm. so yep 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 we got we got a schedule now we got plans yeah and ollie gave me a spooky basket with a super cute Ouija sweater, since I can't have one in the house, so I can't wait to throw that on. <laughs> Just keep it away from your planchette in your office. I know. I have, like, three in there, so. <laughs> every time, I have mine, um, like, by the door in my office, and every time Gabriel walks in, he picks it up, and he just stares at it and looks at it, and he always asks me, or this morning, he's like, what is this called? I'm like, a planchette, and he's like, oh. Like, he, for some reason, that's the only thing, like, he'll just pick up and stare at. And that's funny. so... He's drawn to it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't 
Oh yeah, I gave Ollie a planchette for her birthday, so it's super mm-hmm. cute. It's, it's all like cute. rainbowy and stuff. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what else? I think that's pretty much it. We kind of have like a long episode this week, so I wanted to keep the intro short. But I know you had something you wanted to bring up, right? Yeah, we try. I tried to find some booze news, and I found something yesterday. We're actually recording a lot earlier in the week than we normally do. Um, so at first we're like, uh, what do we have? (laughs) So according to the Washington Post, the U.S. is to execute the first woman in 67 years. Lisa Montgomery is scheduled to be executed by lethal injection December 8th at the federal penitentiary in Tier Haute, Indiana, which I probably fucking butchered. The Justice Department announced a federal jury in Kansas City convicted her in 2007 of kidnapping resulting in death and unanimous, unanimously recommended a death sentence. So her crime was, let me see, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, we just pulled up the article. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it goes, this article goes into detail, detail, but I'm not going to go into the detail, detail, because this is Sam's episode, um, <laughs> not mine. Um, but Montgomery was convicted of strangling a pregnant woman and kidnapping her unborn child. That was her crime, and... Um, yeah, as mentioned, she's the first one in, first woman in 70 years because women only account for like 1% of executions here in the United States. That's so fucked up. Yeah, I, it's always so weird. I find those cases of women seeking unborn children just so, I mean, murder in general is very disturbing, but that, like, that just takes it to another level. Yeah, there was just a, what, like a year or two ago in San Antonio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those are just so sinister. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Like a mother's job is to protect their child, and I can't even imagine. Oh shit, I can't even imagine being in a situation where you can't protect it and it's being ripped out of you. Mm-hmm. I just. Oh ugh. my god. Um, my favorite murder did an episode. It was a I survived story, where the mother was being was well, the person was trying to murder the mother and like rip open the baby like the baby from the. Um, mother and she survived yeah which is fucking crazy i think she named the daughter miracle or hope or mm-hmm. or something along the lines that was a really good um i survived episode i saw that and i was just stunned the whole time that this woman was talking to me about well talking to the viewers about her experience of feeling a baby cut out of her and Ugh, then just being yes. okay it just blows my mind so yeah the one yeah. in san antonio wasn't it the one where she had answered an ad on facebook or Craigslist or, or something. Or, like, Craigslist, yeah. yeah, to pick up some clothes. Like, mm-hmm. how simple that was. Yeah. Because I mean, you don't expect... Someone to lock the door behind you and... Uh, yeah, somebody to have those intentions. Just, yeah, and when you're pregnant, like, you're super vulnerable to, like, physically, like, the, all the hormones and just be super, super careful. Yeah. Like, I'm already a paranoid, like, per anxious person. <laughs> I can't imagine when... <laughs> Like, the, if the day comes and I'm pregnant and be like, oh, my God. This is why I'm have, not having kids. <laughs> <laughs> be like, I need someone with me at all times. <laughs> Protect me. <laughs> it's so funny. To care for me, to grab my water, to grab my food. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I had a friend come over last week, and her baby is the definition of perfect. He mm. only fussed once for, like, five minutes because we were in the car. And I was looking at him, like, in love with him and I'm like no I don't want a kid because he's too perfect and he's already a handful and I can't even imagine if I had a fuzzy kid knowing my luck 
how much of a handful that would be and i was just like Mm-mm, nope no kids <laughs> wait he was a handful or like what do you mean like, like just like just being a baby like always in your arms mm-hmm. and you, you know, typical baby stuff and i was just like no like you you're a perfect baby and this just sealed the deal that i don't want kids <laughs> You're like perfect, but you still require work. Like I would still have to keep you alive. And Not that's for a lot. me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy being like the auntie or whatever, but no, I don't want it. <laughs> but yeah. So speaking, sorry, I, I'm sorry. I just got a text message that said, "Bro, can we fucking talk about anal?" <laughs> Wait, what? I know. I was watching your face, and it just like stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm pretty sure that's from one of my friends who just finished listening to our last episode so, oh. <laughs> so i will respond to that later <laughs> but this is not a live chat episode a no, live q a definitely not <laughs> um but so my story's a little different this week it kind of goes along the lines of the i survived that you brought up um and this is more i figured for halloween what would be scarier than having someone's actual first-hand account of something that happened to them? That happens to a lot of people, according to two statistics that I found later on after reading this story. So this is a complete Reddit post, and I know with Reddit, you're always thinking, ugh, is it true, is it not? But there's a lot of detail in this, and a lot of detail is always like the first indicator that, okay, maybe this isn't made up. There's actual photographs of letters that are gonna come into play. So. I'm almost like 99.999% positive this is an actual thing that happened. And if not, it's still a great PSA for stalking. Mm. So that's what we're going to get into today. So I do want to give a shout out to the podcast Let's Not Meet. um, I love that podcast. Because they read the actual threads on reddit of let's not meet so if you guys haven't checked out let's not meet it's a great podcast where they talk about situations like this and just creepy situations with people it's the one podcast i would add that does creep me out like truly creeps me out if i'm driving and i'm listening to it i get i don't know i just have this unsettling feeling just the way he reads it and like it's strictly just those posts so it's like mm-hmm. one after another it's so good now i should check it out yeah it's Sorry, really really like good. move because i don't want to no, you're good. <laughs> That's why I said, do you want a chair? No, this is super comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this post is by Le Violent Femme. I think I said that right. On the Let's Not Read thread on Reddit. And the title of this is called Blueberry. Have you heard this one on? Oh, you mm. are in for a trip. Mm. Okay. So like I said, I didn't write this at all. This is from user Le Violet Femme. And we're going to get into it. This is a three-part story. So, only several people know what happened with Blueberry. I've never told all the confusing bits and pieces strung properly together. It took me two weeks to finish writing this. I would start typing and some memories and details that I had filed away extremely well would emerge and come flooding back. I showed this to my husband before putting it up here so that he could know about this before the internet does. I think he's still stunned. He knew Blueberry as well. But I think now he better understands some of my quirks and neurotic and nervous tics. Sophomore year in high school is when it started. That would be 2003, I believe. His real name was Michael D., but he was called Blueberry by our circle of friends. I had long forgotten the story behind the moniker, but I imagine that it was selected mostly to distinguish from the many other Michaels around. He was tall, gawky, acne-affiliated junior who had a hands-in-pocket angry walk, a deep dimple in the middle of his chin, and an absolute unintelligible manner of speaking. 
unintelligible to the point where his secondary nickname was Michael Mumble. I don't remember anything particular about that meeting, really. Just a few passing words and a mutual friend stepping in to wave an introductory hand back and forth while repeating our names to the other in a quick burst, like a squeeze on a rifle. Le Violet Femme, Michael, but we call him Blueberry. Blueberry Mike, Le Violet Femme. I was a spunky 15-year-old discovering a whole new diverse world out there, and in retrospect, I see how my giddy naivety left a door wide open for Blueberry to step through. He would talk or mumble to me before first period. I struggled to understand what was said beyond his tight lips that hardly moved, so our interactions were usually brief and consisted mostly of me smiling brightly and nodding along before politely excusing myself. I often picked up on his awkward anger and aggression stuffed so deep and snug inside his six foot three frame. All teenagers are angry. Hell, even Smunky Me had my mood sprees, but Blueberry's anger was different. It was warped, twisted, stubborn, narcissistic, permitting, calm kind of anger. I remember thinking to myself that it just burned the air around him. Being 15, I had no car, so I took my lunches at a subway that sat two blocks away from the school. Sometimes I went with my friends, but more often I went by myself. I liked the quiet and the chance to regroup from school's chaos. He appeared one day mumbling away across from me in a booth while I pasted on a slightly puzzled smile, lips tied over my mouth full of food, wondering what on earth he was saying. Then the letters came. My best friend Christy and I wrote tons of notes during our class period to fold up in neat squares and swap with each other in the halls. This is how we plotted and schemed before the advent of text messaging. We had designated hallways where we would hand off our paper squares. One of these hallways was where I would also see Blueberry. One day, I had just slightly palmed Kirsty's note in my hand when I suddenly felt a tap on my shoulder and a paper slide into my other hand. It was Blueberry, staring fixedly at me with a slight smile. With a surprised chuckle and nod of acknowledgement, I tucked Blueberry's note into my purse along with Kirsty's. I soon found out that not only was he Michael Mumble, he was Michael Muddled. While his handwriting was neat and printed, it was far from illiterate. I could not head or tail out his train of thought. He wrote as he spoke in a mashed inverted manner where the subject matter was vague at best. All I could make out of the letter he would give me from that day was that I was part of the subject matter, something about my consideration or me not seeing filling up the page margins were badly drawn frogs babbling about druids and more frogs. I got these letters often, usually daily. I probably wrote a short note back to him once, maybe twice at most, but they they came steadily as ever. As spring wound down, I began to get more uneasy around him. To the group, Blueberry was Blueberry, just a normal little oddball in the background. I began to avoid him, but he seemed blind to that. In retrospect, at the age of 25, I can safely say people pick up on when you are avoiding them, but not Blueberry. The lunchtime interception and the notes continued when he could manage it, and then came the gifts. I was a writer back then. I always had notebooks that I constantly filled up with any scribbling that came into my head. I wrote in the cheap, smaller size spirals that you can pick up at any drugstore. I knew better than to buy the nice, fancy ones. They'd last me a week at best, but it was fancy. A heavy bound journal that Black Blueberry gave me one day in the hallway at school. I didn't know what to say. It was an odd gift from someone who I barely knew. There was something tainted about the journal. It was beautiful, a plush notebook etched with the design of an ancient map of China and I swear the cover were of suede. It was expensive, enchanting, and it gave me chills. The first ten pages consisted of yet another letter he had penned to me. The first several paragraphs talked of how I was the only one who understood him, and he loved me. I stopped at that point. I could never bring myself to write in it or throw it away. Instead, I tucked it in a keepsake box, slept underneath my bed along with the other notes and trinkets. I told myself I was giving off the wrong signals. I told myself I was being silly and overreacting to someone who was perfectly nice. 
Kirsty told me, you're lucky that someone buys you something so nice without even trying to sleep with you. Friends told me, ah, Blueberry. Just a goof, but he's alright. I was grateful when summer rolled around. Junior year. When school started back up, I had a boyfriend named Adam. Brightly dyed red hair in a red car. So Blueberry faded into the background, whether he liked it or not. He had no driver's license, nor wished to get one, strange for being 18 as he was then. He did an alternation of bicycle and walked everywhere. Looking back, I realized that this made it harder for him to intercept me at lunch when I zipped off to meet my older boyfriend at home for, for the hour-long break. The only time I would see Blueberry was when I was pulling out of the parking lot and I would see him doing his brisk, frustration-filled strides in whatever direction. His eyes were always either angrily fixed at a point in the distance and his chin set in a tight line of frustration. Or he seemed to be searching the sea of high school students flooded the parking lot. For me, maybe? Every now and then, he would spy my cherry red Volvo station wagon, which was embarrassingly hard to miss, and he would stare. Side note, I used to dye my hair red. I loved it. Then I read this, PDF of what he put in the first four pages of the second journal he left in the windshield of my school. I didn't dye my hair red again until I was 22. So, for the most part, humans can get a decent read on others. This wasn't the case with Blueberry. I could make neither heads or tails of him and his behavior around me, and eventually my teenage hormones finally said fuck it. By fuck it, I mean I made no more efforts. I decided that the best way to fix the situation was to not give a shit. If he talked to me, I would respond with short sentences, then bluntly turn and walk away. I didn't avoid it. Neither did I approach him or wave at him in the hallway like I had the year before. He was just another guy in the background. Let me add that in the meantime, the letters never stopped. The gifts came almost like clockwork. A journal left on my car with the first four pages scribbled with words that I never bothered to read. A bouquet of daisies or roses given to me in the hallway that I promptly gave to a lonely-looking freshman as I turned the next corner. A book of fairy tales on my birthday, also with an inscription inside. The journals, books, and letters were hardly ever read nor used and all found a new home in the keepsake box underneath my bed. I could never explain why I felt compelled to tuck them in the keepsake box, but I just did. At times I would feel guilty and would look for anything that I was doing to lead this insane boy on. What on earth compelled him to buy things for a girl that just didn't care? But in the end, my teenage psyche always lost interest and went back to scheming over how I was going to work around curfew and catch that wicked show happening at the local music venue on a school night. My junior year of high school wound down much like this. When school let out for summer, I was just happy to be able to be with friends and not worry about Blueberry. He was a senior and that had been his last year in school with us. I came home one afternoon and sauntered into the kitchen to grab a snack. My father had just come home from work, barely beating me by five minutes, and he had brought in the mail. This was part of his workday routine. I could time the man by his routine practically. He was leaning against the kitchen counter, plucking the bills with my mother's overflow catalogs when I came up to peck him on the cheek and offer him one of the two apples I had received. Hey there, hun, he mumbled, taking the apple. Whoa, hold up, kid. You have mail. Lucky you. He flipped a rectangular manila envelope towards me and I took it. Who's sending me snail mail? I think to myself, popping open the seal flap. Maybe it's grandma. Ooh, does it feel like there's a check in there? I started to hum a Smith song as I pry open the brads that, that anchor the flap. Girl in a coma. Oh no, I don't really want to see her. Pull the letter out. It's a single page of lined notebook paper. Shake the page. Girlfriend in coma. My eyes focus on the first line. I really don't want to. Shit, shit, shit. I know that handwriting. Blueberry. I remember yelping in surprise and dropping the letter as, it, as if it had burned me. I remember grabbing the envelope and flipping it over to where the address should be. I don't know why. I already knew it wouldn't make me feel better to see the street numbers I called home along with my name carefully printed in the center. 
It did make me feel better, however, to see that a city in Colorado was lifted in the top left return address. Blueberry had left Texas, or so I hoped, because it sure made me sick to see that there was no postage stamp. He had to have hand-delivered it to my home, which he had somehow tracked me down. The letter frightened me, in both its content and as well as the fact that Blueberry had found out where I lived. I grilled all of our mutual friends, and all of them swore that they hadn't been the ones to give out the information. In the letter itself, he had sounded almost angry with me, or upset that I hadn't made good on some sort of agreement. Who knows? Thankfully, that was the last I heard of Blueberry for several years. Anyways, and that is part one. (laughs) Wow, it's part one. Mm -hmm. There's three parts. Oh, goodness. Do you have any thoughts up to this, or do you just want to keep going, or? Uh, I mean... I don't know. It's a, we can keep going if you want. Like, I do have thoughts, but we can wait. Okay. Did you want me to, like, dabble into the, le- the side letters since they're included? Yeah, unless you need a break because you've done a lot of reading. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, let me see. So, here, I'm going to show you this. this. So, this is his handwriting. Like, it's very, if you saw it, you would be like, okay, I know who this handwriting is. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read it out or do you want to? Um, yeah, I could read it, maybe. My dear... Um, I mean, yeah, the, this is bad handwriting. But so, or <laughs> it's jumbled. It's not. It's not bad. Like I've seen worse. Um, but I'm not sure what it's. Uh, it's say f- something. Kid eyes on you today at the letter half of year lunch of your lunch. H was only for brief second that you passed by with a malcontent expression, obviously paying attention. The road. Suppose that's a start. It's to the point where exhaustion leaves me lingering and loitering whilst writing. Zig something. This not so very comfy tree. Oh, against. I guess yeah, against. However, it has been at this point and post point and post longer than I've thus no room for complaint. Hoping that my patience will intervene and conquer the situation. In capital letters, it's obvious, my wonderful Miss Clark that I'll always just have to wait again. Although one couldn't wait, hold this against you, for seldomly have I noticed to have something. (laughs) Oh, any. Oh, there's more. Do you want me to read all of it? If you want. Okay. Any control in life, aside from the relatively finite things that come upon our paths, with the benefit of the doubt, it must be the same for you. Wholeheartedly do I categorize this mess as part of the unfair casework. That's how the cuckle pendled crumble or the cookie pen, oh sorry the cookie and then in parentheses pendled crumbles. Nonetheless, I remain anticipating. Red has become tormenting, for it holds the expectation of being you. May just more people more people ones I'm not looking for. Doesn't matter. It's not as if I know what will happen if you would sometimes. It would have been nice to understand some things, but mysteries have proven themselves more in, in trust, entrustion, inter, yeah, I don't know what that is. Voila, a person talking their precious, or taking their precious time, smiley face. Is that like father? Or, it looks like it says father. Um, frowny face. Not you human emotions perhaps one the most misunderstood things to despise them or become infatuated i not i know not loving you always mike my weekend rumbles rambles 
There was another car, I thought. What a lousy detective I'd make. Wink. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think I did a good job reading it because it's kind of, I mean, the A's, like he does that um, stylized A, so that mm-hmm. kind of tripped me up a bit. But what were you going to say? Well, it's, so she did mention in the Reddit post that a lot of it is jumbled and it doesn't really like fully make sense. So what I got from that was remember how she had said that she used to dye her hair red and he stated red is now you mm-hmm. so i think that's kind of a red flag of okay he can now see me with this red hair so i i could see why you would stop dyeing your hair red mm-hmm. and then the part where he says father i think he was outside of her house mm-hmm. because if the father yeah. beat her home and he's writing this to have it delivered mm-hmm. or whatever the father came home at some point and that's why he put father frowny face because it wasn't her yeah and what i get from that note also is it's written in a way that doesn't have it's you know kind of hard to decipher like you kind of have to it's not straightforward Mm -hmm. like his mind is like elsewhere but her but also like in a different place it's yeah it's not like straightforward so um when i was mentioning before we or when we were on our little break um, about like it reminded me of an instance in high school um like there's two instances like one like I'm just using this as an example as somebody who um I guess was like watched in a way but not in like you could have in I could have interpreted it as creepy but the different like I'll, I'll point out the differences when I explain um but what, like when I was in middle school um there was this I guess eighth grader who um I started receiving notes a lot like somebody would just like stop by and get me a note or I would find it in my locker or things like that and um it was very pretty and like it'd be folded into like origami or folded into a flower or a rose or something and um like inside it was just you know it had concise thought into it just like um you know I just think you're beautiful things like that and like a poem and but it was weird because I wasn't, I didn't know who it was from. Like, I didn't know this person. Ooh, yeah. So I knew, like, someone noticed me that I didn't notice before. And when I finally, like, started digging in, I guess I asked, like, an older friend. I was like, who's this coming from? And they're like, oh, it's um, so-and-so. And um, I had no idea who that was. And she's like, yeah, he is, um, like, actually, you know, he was a lot older. Now, now, now I'm like, how did he even get the notes to me because um he was like a brother of somebody who was in eighth grade that's what it was oh. and um he they were like yeah he's um very scarred like his his face is really scarred up like you could you couldn't miss him like he has a lot of scars on his face because he well they're like he's a really nice guy but um he got burned because he went into a fire to save his brother oh shit and i was like well maybe that's why he's writing notes and not like coming up to me but he like never spoke a word to me like i would just receive these letters until one day they just stopped um so that was like an instance where it's like you're being watched but it's like not a part it's like a little thing that happens in your day but like her i would just put it in a box like Mm -hmm. in my dresser and you know not really think of it until the next one came and because it's like what do you do yeah like do you say like stop um and then in high school the oh so, so in middle school at same time frame there was this kid who um went to iss um he was i mean kind of like how she describes him like he was a very tall kid like like bigger bigger built um glasses and just kind of like faded into the background really quiet and talk 
um, but they sent him away because they found a note that he had wrote that was like a hit list oh, shit. and described like how he was going to kill people. We had something like that happen too and they called all the students in and they sent him to like a like a mental facility and like it mm-hmm. was bad. Yeah, like that is yeah, pretty much similar similar like he had a list of names like of people mm-hmm. he was targeting. So he went away and then he came back. I guess several years later, I was probably a sophomore in high school and he was a junior. Um and I only knew of all of this because he was in my art class. Um, he was in my art class and, and like everybody stayed away from him and stuff. And just one day I was like, oh, hey, like, what are you drawing? You know, just because, you know, I, he's, I, hate, I hated seeing people by themselves yeah. and people avoiding like them. And I mean, what he did was a long time ago. So I like every day I would say hi to him. And then he would like start getting closer and closer and I just remember, like, drawing something or doing something and, like, him, like, pressing up against me and just, like, staring down at me. Ugh. And it was, like, a thing, like, he would do. And the teacher noticed, like, I was starting to get uncomfortable because he would just be, like, super close to me or just, like, be staring at me the whole time. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I did tell her. I was like, hey, I don't want to be a jerk, but, like, it's just making me feel weird. Like, I just yeah. wanted, I wanted to be nice and be friendly, but, like, he's getting in my personal space. Um, and then, like, the next day he was gone. Yeah. And that was it. So, it's, like, two of the same coins. Like, you kind of, you can, I think you just kind of can tell when somebody's not all there to where <laughs> it could be dangerous. Yeah. In a way. Like, the first scenario, like, obviously he knew when to stop and wasn't, you know, lose like wasn't kind of out of it where he was gonna do anything or intrude my space like intrude like on my space whereas like the other guy like there was obviously something there some like loose loose bolt where he's like okay this is okay for me to do this yeah yeah I've had situations too where I would get like little poems and stuff and I always kept them too I don't know what it was I'm sure if I dug through my garage I could find the box of them but it was kind of like the for me personally it was kind of like oh someone you know is writing all these nice things to me and I'm just gonna keep them because who else is doing this but then there gets to a point where it's like okay this is too much this is not healthy this is dangerous um but I'm I'm pretty sure I still have everything that I've received in a box somewhere in the garage Mm -hmm. because it's just something that I don't in a way it was kind of like a reminder to myself that hey these are behaviors that you need to be careful of but also in a way it's kind of reminding you of the time when you know you didn't you thought it was innocent when it really couldn't have been so well yeah but uh, there's also you know like red flags like we're talking about here in this case like there are definitely definitely some red flags there um so yeah it's just recognizing what those red flags are and when you're young like no one tells you about these things um you know when you're young you kind of have some narcissistic tendencies where you're like ooh, attention you know Mm -hmm. like whatever no big deal yeah mine would be like oh look i got another necklace or oh look i got another note like you know mm-hmm. never think about it but now that i'm thinking back i'm like yikes you know <laughs> it just seems so innocent back then mm-hmm. until you get like flat out red red flags like in your situation or with this whole blueberry situation so. yeah especially with him knowing where she lives yeah that's dangerous that's, yeah yeah all right all on right. to part two it's titled why won't you just lay with me Letter- Ooh, I don't like that. No. Letter two is the one. Okay, so I will post the picture of letter two. I can't read the letter two because it's more jumbled than letter one. So I'll just post pictures for you guys. But um, 
These events took place in 2005. Fast forward to spring 2008, where I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but preparing to move back to my hometown to kick a nasty drug habit and get a fresh start on life. I had taken a break from packing up my apartment and headed to the library to clear my head and check my MySpace. Ah, 2008. Back in the day. The good times. There was a friend request waiting for me when I logged in. Yep, the cliche reappearance that the protagonist soon rules is it was Blueberry. Still to this day, I have no idea what possessed me to accept the request, but I did. God damn it, I accepted it. Immediately, I got a message from him. It was quite civilized, actually. He asked me how I was doing and even offered an apology for his behavior in high school. I was pleasantly surprised and appreciated the gesture and sent him a response saying so, along with a brief synopsis of my plans on moving back home, only after ensuring that he was still in Colorado, as his profile said. By the time I clicked send, my allotted time on the computer was up, so I logged out and headed back to my place to prepare for, to move back home the next day. Three days later, and one state later, I was back home and finally feeling human as the bumps and bruises of the move subsided. It had been a busy few days and I gladly plopped down in front of my father's laptop to check my email and social media, log into MySpace, and began to work through the stack of accumulated messages. I opened the reply from Blueberry. It had been sent almost instantly after I sent my reply several years ago. Several days ago. Oh, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah. What just happened? <laughs> it, had been, it had been sent almost immediately after I sent my reply several days ago. Well, that's a coincidence. Blueberry was moving back to our hometown as well. Godspeed to him and all his endeavors was all I thought of it. I didn't think I would be running into him often as our old group of friends had long since disbanded to get married, move away, or get locked up. I had just picked up a job waiting tables at a 24-hour diner chain, Denny's, and enrolled in a summer college course. Life went on, but not for that long. I had just started the swing shift at work, and I was at the counter filling up salt and pepper shakers and setting up the floor before the dinner rush hit when he walked in. I knew who he was while he was still in my peripheral. He slid into the swivel chair and mumbled what I could only imagine was a hello. Then he put his right hand on mine, which was wrapped around a salt tumbler I had been refilling. Terror and confusion paint my insides, another spike in blood pressure as he squeezed down hard, if only for a second before releasing his grip. He stares and he mumbles, freeze. This is the part of the story that I find myself taking the longest to write because I keep exiting out of my word program and distracting myself with unimportant busy work to avoid writing about what comes next. You see, this is the part where I left a door wide open for him to step in and catch me off guard. I could have prevented all this had I just done something different. It's something I'm so angry about with myself and it's never easy to talk about so I'm probably to skip out on a lot of detail and deliver the bare bones. I've dragged the heels through the story to this point, so use all the details you know about me and Blueberry that I've given so far to put together the big picture. This is going to be the first time I have ever told the story in its entirety, much less the final chapter. I may or may not be able to finish. Unfreeze. I should have told him to fuck off that day. I should have listened to my gut, which was a scream, which was screaming profanities at my rat, at my rationalization, everything away brain. I knew that he moved from Colorado back down to our hometown because I was there. I knew that he had taken my reply on MySpace as a sign of declaring my undying love to him in his twisted mind. I knew deep down that he was the same scary fucker that found out where I lived in high school. But a part of me had truly thought we had matured past this point. All that wishful thinking. Instead, I smiled politely, nodded, and excused myself to do anything but be around him. I ended up in the bathroom dry heaving. Anxiety, it's a bitch. I was stuck. I was the only waitress on the floor until seven, a good three hours away. 
and I had a credit card payment due in three days, I couldn't leave the floor. I remember talking to myself like a crazy person. He had only said one word. I was being ridiculous. Nobody is twisted enough to do that over a girl that's barely spoken to him or returned any affections. Ludicrous. <laughs> and who knows what he actually said back there or what he meant by touching my hand. He could just be surprised to see me. So who's the crazy person here? Me? Then why had he looked at me as if he was gloating? As if he was hungry? Dry heave to the porcelain gods again. Dart off to the floor. Stay busy. Stay away from the counter. Stay away from Blueberry. Unbeknownst to me, while I went about avoiding him, Blueberry applied for a position as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher, which is always open in diners, and was hired on the spot. I found it the next day as I clocked in and saw him carefully studying the employee schedule. I should have said something then, but I didn't. I was afraid. I didn't have time to think either. I managed to somehow change clothes, tie my apron, dry heave yet again from anxiety several times before my shaking legs found their way onto the floor. Like I said before, so much of it is a blur. I'm typing as fast as I can to get to the end of this fucking nightmare story. I don't remember many specific incidents leading up towards the end. I remember the Friday night bar rush when he yelled at a 65-year-old man, a regular of mine that, had I, that I had come to think of as a grandpa, because he thought he was looking at me with pervert eyes. I remember how many times he tried to stop me while I was neck deep in the weeds with drunk, drunken hungry customers catching my arm rougher each time to make me stop and look at him. The last time he grabbed me so hard, bruises bloomed in the place of his fingers the next morning. I remember the look of pure hatred and frustration that he gave every one of my male customers, and I remember how he said he would slit them ear to ear if they ever touched me. I remember when my shift ended and I held it all in until I made it to the walk-in freezer. I had just let out half a sob when the freezer door swung open and Blueberry had himself in front of me. I remember the metallic taste of fear as I looked up to him. What's next? He said he was looking forward to the talk we would have after work. He said, oh, the talk about us. Oh, God, no. I remember wanting to scrub my forehead with lye where he bent down and kissed me before exiting the walk-in. He made me sick being so close to him, dirty. I remember the desperate need to leave. I clocked out knowing that he won't be off until hours after I am. I can escape. I pulled out of the parking lot and stopped at a red light two blocks down. Find a friend to stay with. Figure this all out. God, I need my job. The passenger door opens. Fuck, it's him. When the hell did my passenger door not lock? Fuck, fuck, fuck. Did he? He broke my lock. Fuck, he's in my car. I'm numb. He acts like this is a normal thing for us to do. My logic freezes. He gives me directions to his house, telling me how happy he is that I came around after all these years of de denying what was between us and that it was real. I can't breathe. Part of me is giving up. A part of me is so, 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 so mad at myself for being so weak and unable to stop all this. Wait, I'm not completely numb. There's still some anger in me. I'm starting to get angry at this person who has repeatedly refused to take no for an answer, who intentionally came back to our town with narcissistic presumption intent of claiming me. Now that I had supposedly come around, he came into my job and made sure to move in fast, hard, and aggressively because he knew this was what I would do. The only words I had ever heard him speak clearly and without any mumbles was a threat to slit my customers' throats from ear to ear. He walked out of his first night on the job just to follow me and got into my car as I was at a stoplight. Fuck that. As I had the opportunity to sit and process the absurdity and the increasing disturbing levels of the situation, I became temporarily lost in a fugue state of memory, realization, and gritty resolve. 
We reached his place and I snapped back to reality. Immediately, I saw that the front lawn was teeming with drunken party goers. His roommate had thrown a keg party that drew enough people to fill a high school stadium. To this day, I consider this the only reason I felt brave enough to do what I would do next. There were too many people around to see and hear things. I knew it and he knew it and he didn't seem happy with it. His face that night still haunts my nightmares. That was rage, like a child having his toy taken away from him. That's exactly what I was to do to him, I later realized. I followed him into the house. I let him take me I let him take me to his room. I stood in the open doorway and balked as he tugged on my wrist to pull me into the room for God knows whatever reason. And it was like another person was speaking through me. Stay the hell away from me. I have never and will never be interested in you as a friend or anything else. You know what the you know what the hell you've been trying to do and you've been trying to do it to me since I was 15. Don't come near me again. You need professional help, you son of a bitch. Then I realized how quiet it was. I swear to God, everyone in that party stopped and stared at us. I was so quiet and all the blood in my body was pumping in a war dance of fear disguised as rage. I saw him falter and we locked eyes. I could tell he was grasping and then I tried to pull away. He was strong. Fuck. Then he screamed. God, I will never forget how angry he looked. He wasn't mumbling. He screamed so clearly. Just fucking lay with me. Why won't you just lay down on the bed? You st- He lurched forward like a tension-bearing spring to drag me into his room. It was at that point that the bodies flew at him. Several of them. They tackled Blueberry to the ground. Beer was flying everywhere. The froth was landing in my hair. My shirt was wet with a faint scent of fresh hop. There was screaming, hands on hands, girls' hands, nails digging into Blueberry's iron fingers. I could feel my blood slowing at the pockets where he had me firmly. My arm must be blue. I thought to myself before I saw the other girls, three of them blonde and red. Run, come on, get away from him, they yelled. His fingers his fingers are slipping claws, but the long solar nails of three women are too much. He flinches with a jerk that forces him to let go. He disappears under the heap of bodies. My legs work again. I run to the car. I ran the fuck away. I still don't know who the men who tackled him were. Neither do I know the names of the women who scratched their own nails into Blueberry's skin so that he would let go and they couldn't flank me in protection as I ran to the car. So to this day, I don't think I've ever been faced with truer definition of solidarity than that act right there. They didn't even know who I was and they all dove in. I don't know what kind of spiritual force is out there roaming the purple evenings with those who are alone, but more nights than not, I say a little thank you to the skies, hoping at least one of them hear me. I owe those strangers a great deal. Now that I've said that, the thing of this part of the story is, it's not over, and it hasn't gotten bad yet. Not by a long stretch. The final part was the hardest to write, and I'm still sick to my stomach thinking about it all. Well, here goes. The final part should be up soon. And now we're getting to the conclusion. Oh my gosh. Oh my god, those those people. How like, And whenever people, and I know this is kind of a different subject, but whenever people, like, like critique others when like coming out with like their sexual assault for example and they're like well why didn't you do anything it's like when you're paralyzed with fear it's your biological instinct to either it's like fight or, or flight. flight and then now there's one that's basically possum where you freeze yeah um yeah you don't know what you would actually do in those situations like in her mind she was like no i need to fight i need to do something and then she ended up at his house, which in my mind, I'm like, what? How, how, like, 
how's that possible? Like, why would you do that? But you don't know what you would do in that situation. And you don't know what they're capable of. He's in her car, in her passenger seat. She, she, oh, yeah, very true. She doesn't have many options. So mm-hmm. it's just fortunate that her his roommate threw a party and that was her saving grace, you know? Yeah, and those people being there and noticing and, yeah. Yeah, because what do you do if no one was there and now you're in a situation where you're with this person in their house, they're strong, they're pulling you, you, you have to figure something out you know and i know we've talked about our reactions and i'm a total freezer Mm -hmm, yeah i would totally freeze too and i i don't even know what i would do you Mm -hmm. know so oh it's just so terrifying okay all right (laughs) um this one is a little bit oh this one has this one's nuts so let's get into this okay at this point i wish i could say that it's over it's not stalkers are persistent they don't think like you and I do what I had done that night I told blueberry no was something good and bad good in that I had acted loudly enough to become a person to him not an object bad in the sense that I had set down boundaries that conflicted with his intents and I had done it in a crowd of people embarrassing him I knew that where he had just seen me as a living doll before he would now see me as someone to be punished this is what I thought to myself as I stared at the ceiling stained with the sharp gold light of a noon sun I barely slept after crashing through my front door and quickly, desperately checking every window and door locked in my and doors locked in my father's house before collapsing in a heap by the bed. My father wasn't home as he usually stayed over at his new girlfriend's place. I didn't mind. It was nice to see him in love. It took the years off his face, and I didn't want to put those years back on with my predicament. I didn't want to see the look in his eyes as if he saw branches of broken blood vessels blooming up that ran up my arm in a dull spiral of pain. Didn't want to see him and Blueberry in the same room. Didn't want him to feel disappointed or upset with me. I had kicked the habit and worked diligently on my decision-making skills, but my helplessness in dealing with Blueberry seemed to me a return to a life I thought I had left behind. No. Better this figure this out myself. He had spent enough sleepless nights worrying about me. I was suddenly thankful for my parents' recent divorce. My mother, bes- my mother stayed behind in a house I grew up in, and my father had rented out a lovely house in an adjacent neighborhood. Blueberry couldn't possibly find me here. With that comforting thought, I pulled myself out of the bed and dressed. I remember picking a shirt with the sleeves to cover the bruises he had left. I didn't even care that it was easily 100 degrees outside. Anything to keep from seeing and remembering his brand on me. I padded towards the kitchen, stopping at the large glass window panes that faced the open schoolyard across the street. Pulling back the blinds, I took in the grassy, sun-drenched view. I liked the house. It was open. I could see anybody coming, but it was quiet for now. In the kitchen, I stepped into the cupboard and plucked a fresh bag of chips. I was starving. I had just started to pull open the bag of chips when the banging started. Boom, boom, boom. They were a parody of polite knocks. I had no idea how he had found me, still to this day. I still don't. But it doesn't matter how, just that he did. And I knew who was behind the door, just as that person knew I was hiding in there somewhere. At the very first echo of Blueberry's fist hitting the front door, my legs turned to dust beneath me. The bag of chips burst as I collided with the linoleum, and my body's momentum transformed the potato shards into a million traders echoing my every move. I was sobbing silently, holding, hiding behind the fridge, and watching the shadows slide along the floor where I had just been seconds ago, gazing at the window with a false sense of safety. Boom, 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 again. Then there was silence. My phone buzzed on the counter. I stretched my arms upward and clutched a little electronic beacon of freedom, a text from a 303 area code, Colorado him the text illuminated the screen my dear i know you are in there let me in i have your favorite subway sandwich for you and a surprise 
Jesus, how did he get my number? My sleeves have been pushed back from the reach of, for my phone. I see the bruises again. A friendly reminder from Blueberry. Some of them are the same shade as his name. The knocks have been quiet and there's no more shadows on the wooden floor by the window. I remember that there was a click in my brain at that moment. Something finally connected. My survival instincts are finally triggered and I shift from frozen into overdrive. I am no longer human. I am a fucking gazelle running from a lion. Chips crunch under my shoes as I snap up to my feet, keys and phones in hands, and run for the sake of everything I love in this world. I hear, I hear metal creak behind me in the kitchen just as I slam the front door open. All the sunlight outside charges every cell in my bruised body from the front steps as I dive into my car through the open passenger window. I leave a perfect arc of rubber marks on the driveway as I reverse, swivel my head, and scan the yard for him. There is nowhere to hide in this wide open neighborhood. Nothing. He's unseen. The gas pedal is one with the floorboard. I'm thankful the students at the elementary school across the school are not out for recess because I would have braided them into sticky tarmac without a second thought if they had stood between me and safety. This is my level of fear. I keep driving, blowing through all the yields and stops. I wonder if I'm crazy. My phone buzzes with another text from the Colorado number. No, not crazy. Scared. Crazy scared. Not of death. Not yet, anyways. Scared of what he will do to make me return to this, his normalcy. I am a doll to him. What happened when dolls start to speak? When they run like gazelles away from their playroom rules? What happens if the lion catches the gazelle? I dry heave and sob at once. Oh god, the fear. I feel like he's with me right now watching. It does occur to me to call the police, but what do I tell them? They would look at me like I was crazy, just like everyone else has assured me that Blueberry was fine. Just odd. So very odd. Maybe I still am the crazy one. I'm going 55 in a 25 after all. But I know that I cannot be alone at this moment. I pick up my phone and dial the number for Brandon. He lives the closest. Had to have to redial twice. Blueberry keeps texting and the alerts make me exit my keypad. His messages tell me about the lack of appreciation for the things he does for me. Dry heave. Still going 55. Finally, I am able to input all seven digits. Hello? Brandon's voice is an angelic sound. I cry. All that comes out is the name of the street I'm on. He directs me to park a block away from where I am. I see him. He sees me. I leave the key in the ignition but turn off the car. I run across the green field to him. I feel like I can't do anything but run for dear life. Brandon catches me, holds me tight by the arms with two big hands. My bruises hurt under his palms. My lungs are on fire. I can't stop my legs from twitching. I babble. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. He found me. Please don't tell him where I am, Brandon. Please. I collapse on the soft grass. Brandon tells me later that he pieced the story together from what he could hear me say, curled up in a fetal position on the grass, bawling about blueberries, bruises, and being an object. He wasn't sure what to make of it and admits that he thought I was back on the shit and I was having a bad come down. Then he goes to retrieve the keys from my car from the ignition. My phone is on the front seat, still litting up increasingly with messages from a 303 number. Brandon sees this. He opens my phone and reads several of the 52 messages sent in the last half hour. He says he couldn't bear to read any more after seeing the one that included a photo of my open underwear drawer. It dawned on Brandon that Blueberry is inside my home and enjoys letting me know. Brandon hugs me and tells me, and talks to me until Carly and Kate get back to the park. Carly and Kate will take me to their house where we will call the police. Brandon has warrants so he can't be there with us. But before he leaves, he hugs me so fiercely it reminds me that I'm real, not plastic. 
He whispers in Carly's ear and advises her to check the messages on my phone if she doesn't believe. She makes it to the messages where he tells me he will shave my red harlot hair off if I don't come back and be good. My phone rings. Carly answers. It's my father. Kate drives my car home. They stay as I hear what has happened. The next-door neighbor had been in her kitchen when she saw me run out the door and peel out of the driveway. The clue she said was how I had thrown myself into the car through the window as if I couldn't waste a minute with opening the door. She went closer to her window to watch the scene. As my car faded away, she looked at the front door of the house. She saw a tall, thin man come out of the front door, staring into the direction I had gone. She said he had a angry. He, she said he had looked angry, and I looked terrified. So she called the police. My father, unaware of all this, came home soon after the neighbor placed the call. Blueberry was back outside on the porch by then, perched on the steps, watching and waiting. My father stared at the strange boy on his steps. He saw the tire tracks and the absence of my car. Blueberry calmly looked at my father, met his glaze, and blankly said that he was thinking about giving me a vanity for my birthday. My father tells me that Blueberry stood up and placed himself between my dad and the door. My father was a criminal defense attorney for 30 years. He is a stoic, tough man who has defended countless rapists, killers, thieves, addicts, and the truly innocent before a jury of peers. Not much shakes him. Yet there is a noticeable tremor in my father's voice as he recounts this to me. He stares Blueberry down and simply says, Do you pay for this house, boy? I don't answer to you. Get out of my way. Blueberry moves. My father goes inside, disturbed by the boy on the stairs and glad that I'm not here. In the kitchen, he sees the crushed bag of chips on the floor, the mess in the kitchen. He can see the frantic movements etched in the carpet of the chips. He can see the back door is wide open. I would never leave it like that. He also remembers that the front door has been unlocked. He and I shared a paranoia of unlocked doors and was... Then that my father knew something was very wrong. He feels sick. He sprints to the front door. Hey, kid! He roars as Blueberry's retreating back. He had taken off down the street when he heard the sirens. The police cars... The police car called by the neighbors pulled up at that point. One patrol goes in pursuit of Blueberry. The other stays to talk to my father who is calling my phone and our astute neighbor who relates what she had seen through the window. The police asked if I knew this man who was on the stairs. Carly gives them my phone as an answer. My father sees one over the cop's shoulder, turns pale, closes his eyes. I can see the years go back on his face. I can't stop crying. I can't get a word out. All I can do is lead them to my bedroom where Carly holds up the bed skirt as I reach underneath and pull out the three keepsake boxes that have filled with the last five years worth of Blueberry's gifts and mostly unopened letters. Carly brings me a yearbook. I cry harder and harder as I open up the pages with this class photo on it and point to his full name. I'm crying this hard because it's over. I'm crying this hard because it could have been over long before this point. Officers back up the contents of the boxes and the flashes of the camera capture any trace of what had happened that afternoon. I give a short statement so once I can speak coherently. They don't find Blueberry, but my father secures protective orders quickly with the connections he has. He looks so tired. It must have been so easy to protect me when I was small when... He could be the barrier between me and the monsters he dealt with on a daily basis. But the time had long since passed, and all he could do now was make phone calls and pray to God he did pray to a God he did not believe in. He did not tell me about the journal left on the doorstep until years later. The one that he didn't turn over to the police. The one that had the photos of me sleeping, photos of me naked and fresh out of the shower. Even some of me kissing my next my ex boyfriend Adam's face. In these, Adam's face was scratched out and left hollow, all of them taken at times when I had assumed I was alone. I arranged to stay the night at Carly's. She tells me the next morning that I had started screaming in my sleep and did not stop until she crawled into bed with me and wrapped, her, wrapped me in her tiny arms. 
I'm grateful for her. I think her touch is what kept me from remembering any nightmares I had that night. It felt so good just to sleep. We moved soon after, my father and I. We spoke of the incident only once more. Only once more when I walked into the kitchen of the new house and saw my father at the table with a, tr with a tumbler of bourbon in hand, flipping through the mounds of papers with the other. They were letters from Blueberry. He had received them after evidence processed them. He intended to put them in a safety deposit box. I'll never forget the grim reasoning behind his voice as a lawyer in which he spoke. Well, if you ever turn up murdered, at least I'll have this and that fucking journal to prove exactly who did it. I haven't seen or heard from Blueberry since that day. It's been five years and it's taken two weeks of writing to get this all out. There's so much to this story and it's so fucking harrowing yet relieving to be able to put this all down together in chronological order and I know that I lived through it. Thanks, let's not sleep. I needed this. And that's the story of Blueberry. You didn't say let's not sleep? Or I think she meant me, but... Oh. I just wrote, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's wild. It's very wild. <laughs> right? Like, I have no words. Ooh. So I did, after the story, I did want to pull up some statistics on actual, um, like, stalking cases and stuff, just mm -hmm. to actually put some research into this and not just, like regurgitate something someone put out so let me pull that up real quick but while i'm doing that do you have any like thoughts about it or um i mean i mean it's super lucky you know but yeah. the part where the journal has pictures of her sleeping yeah and naked and he was able to get in the house yeah which she said like her her and her dad would like have a fear of having doors unlocked like, how did he get in? How was he able to get in? Maybe through her windows. Well, did didn't it say, like, she heard the metal, like, metal behind her when she ran out? So he, I was interpreting that as he opened the door. Yeah. And came through. Um, and so maybe he had a key or maybe it wasn't locked. Yeah, or, like, they, he was getting in somehow, obviously, to take pictures of her while she was sleeping. Yeah. How do you take pictures of someone out of the shower? Yeah. That's terrifying to me. Maybe she had a window. Maybe. Like he was looking through the window. Oh my god. That's such, that's so scary to me that someone could take pictures of you when you think you're safe and alone. Mm -hmm. <sighs> All right. So according to BJS.org, individuals classified as stalking victims individuals are classified as stalking victims if they experiment experienced at least one of these behaviors on at least two separate occasions in addition the individual must have must have feared for their safety or that of a family member as a result of the course of conduct or have experienced additional threatening behaviors that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear which i already have an issue with the fact that why do you need to be fearful if you notice something as a red flag shouldn't that be enough to be able to alert someone well to alert somebody you would have to have some degree of fear that's true yeah i guess that's kind of like a vague to me it's a little vague mm -hmm. um which good it should be that's true yeah oh what oh no no oh, no yeah, sorry, okay. <laughs> sorry. Just, i was like what <laughs> why are you looking at me <laughs> <laughs> no you're right you're right maybe it's good that it is vague then so that you can interpret it as mm -hmm. is but so, um, stalking behaviors are measured as making unwanted phone calls, sending unsolicited or unwanted letters or emails, following or spying on a victim, showing up at places without a legitimate reason, waiting at places for the victim, leaving unwanted items, presents, or flowers, posting information or spreading rumors about the victim on the internet in public places or by word of mouth. 
and statistically during a 12-month period an estimated 14 in every 1,000 person aged 18 or older were victims of stalking. About half, 46% of stalking victims experienced at least one unwanted contact per week and 11% of victims said they had been stalked for five years or more. Oh my gosh, that's way too long. Yeah. The risk of stalking victimization was highest for the individuals who were divorced or separated, 34,000 individuals. Women were at greater risk than men for stalking victimization. However, women and men were equally likely to experience harassment. Males, 37%, and female, 41% of stalking victimization were equally likely to be reported to the police. Approximately one in four stalking victims reported some sort of cyber stalking, such as an email, which is 83%, or instant messaging, which is 35%. 46% of stalking victims felt fear or not knowing what would happen next. Nearly three in four stalking victims knew their offender in some capacity. More than half of stalking victims lost five or more days from work. So I tried to find like a a call center, like a helpline, you know, like I normally try to do, Mm -hmm. but I could not find one for stalking. So what I did find was Victims Connect Helpline, and they provide information and referrals for victims of all crimes and can be reached at 855-4-VICTIM or 855-484-2846. So again, that number is 855-484-2846. So if you guys are ever feeling uneasy, uncomfortable with someone, Mm -hmm. those indicators that I just said are bringing someone to your mind, alert someone. Don't, don't let this go because it will escalate. Mm -hmm. So it's, in my opinion, it's best to tell the people around you, the people Mm -hmm. who know you, um, because if you, you know, keep it to yourself and something happens, no one's going to know what direction to look first. Exactly. And like even you know she in um the the reddit post she was saying she didn't want to tell her dad because she didn't want to worry her dad and her dad was doing good but i mean if something would have happened to her her dad would have beat himself up for not noticing something or seeing something yeah and especially with his background yeah i figured or for me at least i if i were in that situation like the first person i would probably go to is my dad and i've had friends that had you know situations like that when it comes to like somebody else and um, like harassment and things like that and I've you know I've gone to him and be like hey legally what can this person do yeah um having a resource like that I know not everybody has a resource like that but if there's just at least somebody you trust that you can tell like hey this is what's happening yeah because like her friends didn't know and her friends thought you know she was um you know coming down on drugs which mm-hmm. if her friend didn't look at the phones the phone on time you know they might have dismissed it yeah definitely and I mean, I've had friends too, and I know how difficult the restraining order process is. I know how awful and how much evidence and what they need and proof they need to put that restraining. I understand how difficult that is, but you need to, you know, let everyone around you know for sure. Call that hotline. Call someone because a lot of the time they're like, oh, we need evidence. And mm-hmm. sometimes something way worse can happen before you have actual evidence. So yeah, that's what I hate. Like you mm-hmm. can't just say hey this guy is sending me notes this guy knows where my address is or like what my address is and like they need something more tangible like to show that your life is actually in danger which to me is like bullshit yeah like you know you have gut feelings about things 
Yeah, and I really wanted to highlight this too because when people bring up stalking, a lot of the time it's like, oh, it's like a little puppy dog love. They're just following you like a little puppy dog. And There's no. nothing cute and puppy-like about being followed by someone. No, definitely not. So that's why I thought, okay, this is terrifying. This is something that actually needs to be brought to attention. So hopefully you guys aren't mad at me for reading a Reddit post, but... <laughs> oh, no. Like I said, I love that podcast. Um, let's not meet because I'm not going to read it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's a great thread on reddit too there's so many like bone chilling stories and situations and they really let you evaluate kind of people in your life and kind of try to see if anyone in your life might be getting red flags that you don't notice either so mm-hmm. always that, be vigilant yeah and they do a little bit of everything like or he i don't know his name but he reads like posts that are you know kind of paranormal like a lot of paranormal creepy um cryptid and like it's not just um like other like people stalking and things like that yeah, there's like potential mix. like kid kidnappings like it, it's wild mm-hmm. what he reads but again that post was made by a uh, live violet femme on reddit so all the credit goes to her because this was her first this was her first hand account so mm-hmm. yeah i had to look it up i had to found it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and if you guys want to read it yourself you can literally just put uh let's not meet blueberry on google and it will pop up and you can find the original reddit post and all the pictures and all that but yeah, uh, my throat is dry as heck. So. I'm sure. Yeah, no, you did. What time is like? How long? We're almost at an hour and ten minutes. Oh so. wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna one. wrap this up. Go watch some spooky movies. Yep. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode fifty-five. 55 is that yes. what I said in the beginning? Mm-hmm, 55. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into episode fifty-five. You can find us on all our socials at Booze Podcast B O O Z. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And we'll catch you next time. Stay boozy, y'all. Bye. Bye.